Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. in prayer in order to stay on a fast and actually get the most out of this fast I think we have to narrow it down see there's three circles in everything everything that you do everything that you uh, engage to do every endeavor of your life there's three circles I'm going to explain what those three circles are and they're one within the other the number one is the what what are you doing? That's the main one. Everybody, you know, there's most people that know what they are doing. You know, if you work at a job and your boss tells you to do something, you know what you're doing. You know what is the what of what you're doing. Um, Apple, you know what they do. They make computers. You look at different companies, McDonald's, what do they do? They make hamburgers. But there's another circle within the what, and that is the how. How do you do something? The how is uh, a more narrowed thing. That Apple makes computers, but how they do it, not many people know how to make a computer, what goes into making a computer. Not many people know how McDonald's brought their franchise to such a high level. They know what they do, but the how, that's a different story. You can know what to do. You can know how to do something. You know what you're doing when you fast. You're not eating. That's the what. You're abstaining from food. The how. Just don't eat. <laughs> that's, that's the how you fast. You just don't eat. Don't put anything in your mouth. But what matters most in anything that you do, and specifically today we're talking about fasting and prayer, what matters most is the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do we fast? If you don't know the why, it doesn't matter if you know the how, it doesn't matter if you know the what, you'll never succeed in actually uh, fulfilling or finishing an extended fast, nor will you attain to the maximal benefits of what an extended fast can bring you. It's one thing to know what you're doing, it's another thing to know how to get it done, you know, even the practical elements of how to fast. There's people who don't even know the Lord that fast for the practical health benefits of fasting. And I'm going to get into that in one of the broadcasts this week. But people who don't even know the Lord, people who don't even have any spiritual application to their fast, they do it for the health benefits. And they can actually, there's a guy, there's people on YouTube that have documented them doing a 30-day water fast, 21-day water fast. They did it for health benefits. And they talk about all the things they experienced throughout the way. But... The reason why they, they, uh, they're able to do that is that they know how to do it. They know, you know, the, all the practical things, the electrolytes, the salt that you can add to your water, all the practical things you can add or you can um, understand that would enable you to better, uh, to feel better during a fast, you know, the sleep that's required, going on a walk, all these practical things that will help you fulfill a 21-day fast. However, it's the why that's going to sustain you to the end. It's the why am I fasting that's going to actually allow you to maximize the potential of this fast. It's what's going to push the plate away when you have that grave desire to eat, especially the first couple of days of a fast. 
It's, the, it's what's going to put that drive in you that no, I'm not breaking this thing until I hit that 21-day marker. The why is what's going to carry you through. The why is what's going to say when the flesh starts to bark loud and the flesh tries to grab your ankle and bring you right back in. It's the why. When you know why you're doing what you're doing is what's going to suppress the voice of the flesh, put your spirit in command and say, no, I'm moving to the end. So why do we fast? What's, what are we doing? We're fasting 21 days to begin the year. How are we doing it? Where we're doing it by refraining from eating. Why are we doing it? I've written down here six purposes of fasting and prayer. Six reasons why we should fast. By the way, these broadcasts that I'm going to do throughout the week, I'm going to tailor them down to one hour. One hour. One hour of power. It's going to be a supplement to your fasting and prayer throughout these 21 days. It's, gonna, it's going to be like a, a, an energy booster. It's going to be like an injection of faith and... Um, and encouragement. And I've narrowed it down to one hour. So you can use this as your devotional today. You can use this as whatever, whatever you'd like to use it for. Why should we fast? Number one, we fast because Jesus told us to fast. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 35. Let's start with verse 33. Then they said to Jesus... Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast often and make prayers, but yours eat and drink? Jesus replied to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm with them now. I'm the bridegroom. I'm with my bride now. The disciples representing the church. They don't need to fast because I'm physically here now. The anoint, I am here with them present in the flesh now. But he says the days will come where the bridegroom will be taken away. That's what happened in Acts chapter 1. The Bible says that the disciples were listening to Jesus giving his final admonition to the, to, to the people. And as he was speaking, gravity lost hold on his body and he began to ascend on high. And the disciples began to look up and they were squinting through the clouds trying to see where his body was and they lost sight of him. Two angels dressed in white stand by the disciples and said, why are you squinting up, looking up into heaven? He's, the angel said, this same Jesus whom you have seen go will so come in like manner one day. Jesus said, the bridegroom will be taken away from the bride, the church. That happened in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father, forever seated there. He is resting from his works. His works, his time of fasting, his um, obedience and what he did on the earth. All of that was complete, fulfilled at the cross. His resurrection, his ascension, he sat down. He is now resting from his works. But now begins our work. Jesus said, when that happens, then the bride will begin to fast. Then my people, my disciples will begin to engage this spiritual discipline and practice of fasting in prayer. The Bible says the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. It doesn't say they might fast or if they choose to fast or if they should find time to fast, then they, it'd be a good thing to do. 
Jesus says they will fast in those days. It's something we have to do. Fasting is not a divine suggestion. Fasting is not a divine recommendation. Fasting is not something Jesus gave just for the fivefold ministers. Jesus didn't tell just the evangelist, pastor, and apostle, and prophet to fast alone. And everyone else, you know, you don't have to do that because you're not, you're not really serious like they are. That's, first of all, if you belong to the kingdom of God, if you call yourself a Christian, if you're born again, you are an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And as an ambassador, an ambassador is a servant to the kingdom or nation to which it belongs. We are servants of the kingdom of God. And if we're going to be effective servants for God's kingdom, then there's no better way to do that, neither is there another way to do it, than engaging in fasting and prayer. We see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus who served. He said the Son of Man has come to serve the purposes of God. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, the Son of God, made flesh, the Anointed One, the Messiah, prophesied in Old Testament prophecy he saw it fit to engage in fasting and prayer through his life and ministry in order to make himself effective to what God had called him to do. If he did that and he set the pattern to do so, how much more should we do what he did? If we're going to duplicate his works, we have to reproduce his discipline. If we are, I'm going to say it again, if we are going to duplicate his root, his works, then we must reproduce his disciplines. You can't have what Jesus had if you don't do what Jesus did. And a life void of fasting and prayer is a life, a person, an individual setting himself up for stagnation and difficulty. Now, I'm not saying if you fast and pray, you'll never be challenged in life. But I am saying that when you fast and pray, there is a level of power and anointing that comes on you that empowers you to have what David had in the Old Testament. David was a man given to fasting and prayer. He said, I will humble myself with fasting. And David said in Psalm 18, through God, I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall. Hallelujah. Through God, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. So David did not ignore the challenges of troops and walls, but he said, and I'm sure if he was here and alive with us today, he'd say fasting is what empowered me for those things. But he said, through the power of God, though the challenges may come, I can run through them and I can leap over them. They never prevail against me. Fasting and prayer is that key ingredient that allows you to do so. That's why Jesus, you see Jesus, when they picked up stones to stone him, they couldn't kill him. He was a man on a mission and he was consecrated and dedicated to that mission and as such, he had an invis invincibility to him. Nobody could take Jesus' life. He laid his life down of his own initiative. Nobody took his life from him. He said, I lay my life down of my own will, of my own volition, and of my own initiative. And I have power with God to not only lay my life down, I have power with God to take it up again. So Jesus said, in those days, they will fast. If we turn to Matthew chapter 6, you can't talk about fasting without speaking on Matthew 6. You know, in speaking of purpose number one, 
that it's, it's Jesus' command for us to fast, I always found it funny that anything Jesus gave as a command, it's always challenged by lukewarm people. You look at baptism. Jesus said, those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. The early church practiced baptism. John the Baptist practiced baptism. Paul, uh, Paul commended baptism. He said, I didn't baptize many people, but he did commend it, and he saw it as an ordinance of the New Testament church. But you have people that are saved in church, sitting in a church pew Sunday to Sunday, but many times you hear this, um, this challenge towards the ordinance of baptism, they say, why do I have to be baptized? Give me a good reason why I should be baptized. There are a lot of people who are saved and they say, they pretty much say, you know, it's by faith, through, by grace through faith we're saved. There's no need to be baptized. Why should I get baptized? And I've always found it confusing when I hear people challenge baptism uh, like that because Jesus said it not only once, he said it twice. Matter of fact, not only did he say it, he himself was baptized. In Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 3, the Bible says he went to the Jordan River and was baptized by John. John contested and said, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, yes, but permit it to be so for now, for such as is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said, fulfilled righteousness is in being baptized. Now, I'm not saying you're righteous because you got baptized. You're righteous by faith in Christ. However, Jesus, who was Christ and is Christ, said, such is fitting, such is fitting to fulfill all righteousness, meaning this is a righteous thing to do to be baptized, an outward confession and expression of an inward work that was done by the Holy Spirit. Jesus not only was baptized, he told us, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Then you see people in Acts chapter 8, they go to Samaria. There's a revival there. John and Peter, they go, and they were baptizing people. Paul was baptized in water. So people say, well, why do I have to be baptized? Isn't it by faith alone we make heaven? Yes, but Jesus said to be baptized. For me, if Jesus said to do something... That's all I need to do it. I don't need further reasons. I don't need further manipulation. I don't need to be bullied, harassed, or have my arm twisted in order to do it. If Jesus said do it, I do it. That's enough for me. If Jesus said love your neighbor, do good to those that hate you, bless those that curse you, I don't have to understand why I have to do it. I just do it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him in everything in life. He'll direct your paths. You don't have to understand why everything, uh, why, why every command was given to us or the purpose for every command. You don't have to understand the whole, you know, why do I have to be baptized? Why do I have to, why do I have to be kind to people? Why do I have to, you don't have to understand why. Just do it. It's in doing it that triggers off blessing and honor for your life. If Jesus said something once, I don't need him to say it a second time for me to do it. Once is more than enough. So Matthew chapter 6. You see in verse 1 through 4, 
Jesus talking about giving. When you give. In verses 5 through 15, you hear Jesus talking about prayer. When you pray. Notice how he doesn't say, if you feel like giving. You sh- it says, when you give. That means it's a, a practice of a New Testament believer. Giving is a is a, a, a practice. It is a, a discipline that we must have. It's something that has to be a regular part of our life. Prayer. He goes on to talk about prayer. When you pray. Not when you feel like praying or if you should have time to pray. When you pray. Meaning Jesus is not saying if you pray. He's saying when you pray. Meaning it's something that he expects you to do. It's something that is not a recommended practice. It is a telltale of devotion and discipleship before God. When you are devoted to God, you will give. When you are devoted to God, you will pray. And then he moves on in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16. Moreover, when you fast. So three things Jesus said every believer is to engage with. And none is to be neglected. When you give, when you pray, moreover, when you fast. Just like we shouldn't neglect prayer, just like we shouldn't neglect giving, we should never neglect fasting. When you fast, do not be like hypocrites with a sad countenance, sad faces, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you... When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Oftentimes, people are labeled as like hyper fanatics if they fast. You know, during this 21 days of fasting and prayer that most, most of the church worldwide is, is uh, engaging, engaging with, you have people that don't pray or don't fast. And I found most of the time those that don't fast don't have a prayer life anyways. But people that don't fast are oftentimes on Instagram and on YouTube and on Twitter and all that criticizing those who do fast. And they label us as hyper-fanatics or hyper-zealots or uh, super-spiritual people who, are, who, who don't understand grace. They don't understand grace. That's why they fast. They feel like they have to work for all these things. First of all, I've proved to you, I mean, if anyone understand, understood grace, I think that it would be Jesus Christ. The Bible says he was full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was grace incarnate. And he said, you have to fast. And not only did he say you have to fast, he himself fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And that's all we know of. Perhaps he fasted more, but that's all we know of from the scripture. Did Jesus have a poor understanding of grace? Did Jesus not just understand the message of faith that you just have to believe for those things? No, he understood those things. But there's something about fasting and prayer that allows an individual to tap in to a a new or a high level, or a high dimension of spiritual power to attain to greater things in life. And there's no way to ignore that. Anytime Israel was challenged in the Old Testament, they always ran 
to fasting and prayer, and it always produced the breakthrough. Mark chapter 9, Jesus cast a demon out of a little boy, an epileptic. And the scripture, the scripture says that um, the disciples who could not cast the demon out of the boy came to Jesus privately afterward and said, Jesus, why could we not cast out the, de the devil? And Jesus didn't say, because you don't understand grace and faith. No, he said, because this kind, this kind cometh not out except by fasting and prayer. Everyone has spiritual authority if you belong to Jesus. Everyone has the same level of authority. We all are seated with Christ in heavenly places. But in order to operate that authority, in order to enforce authority, you need power. Authority is good. But I know people who have authority that are wimps and can enforce that authority. Fasting empowers you to not only know the authority you have in Christ, but to enforce that authority so that no devil that ever stands in your way can double cross you or take advantage of you because there's something different about you. There's a fire. I, I've seen ministers who fast and pray and I've seen ministers who neither fast nor pray. And I can tell you, there's a difference even in their eyes when they look, when they're preaching. There's a, 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 a zeal, there's a fervency, there's a, a level of seriousness that they carry in the anointing that even humans know that's not somebody I should screw over. You know, if you don't have, if you don't have a level of authority to get your dog to pee in a certain place, you're never going to cast the devil out of somewhere, out of somebody. If you don't have a, a, an understanding or a power to exercise authority over your own dog, over your own pet, you're not going to have power to exercise authority over a devil. I've seen people try to cast devils out of people, put their hand on their shoulder and say, we just pray peace over this person. God, we just ask that you would just invade their life with peace. We just, that's the, the devil's there applauding your efforts. He's not moving. He's not going to... He's not going to move an inch. But then I've seen people who carry real power and authority. Jesus said, remember in Luke chapter 10, 17, Behold, I give you power and authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions. Trample, not be trampled by, trample on. And nothing will by any means harm you. And I've seen people, and I myself, you know, I've cast out devils. And they don't stay long because... When I, when I speak to them, I don't speak to them like a timid, neutered cat. I speak to them as one who carries real authority. They know that I'm not to be messed with. They know that, uh, you know, the Bible says the seven sons of Sceva, when the demon spoke back to them, he said, uh, "Who? I know Paul, I know Jesus, who the heck are you? And they beat them up and left the house naked, bruised, and wounded. But then Paul comes in. In Acts chapter 16, and cast the demon out of a slave girl in no time. You know, you look at the New Testament. There's never given much time to deliverance. Jesus cast spirits out with his word. Paul said, I adjure you by the name of Jesus to come out. And that was it. There was never a drawn out long process to casting out a demon. There wasn't this three hour deliverance session. It was one word, come out. And I'll tell you why there's a drawn out deliverance session many of the times it's because many a times it's because there's no in that minister's life there's no time given to fasting and prayer 
Because when you fast and pray, Jesus said to the disciples, this kind cannot come out except by prayer and fasting. When you give yourself to fasting and prayer, there's no kind in hell that will be able to contest the power and pressure that you put on it by your mere presence in that room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I see that dimension of power and authority coming on you through this fast in Jesus' name. You will never be contested again. Every time you open up your mouth to speak and cast out demons, they will obey. Anytime you open up your mouth to give a command to any agent of hell that's been harassing or torturing yourself or your family or those around you, anytime you open up your mouth to give a command, it shall obey you from this moment onward in Jesus' name. If you believe that, put amen in the chat. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Oftentimes you get snarky com comments by people made towards people who do fast. Mainly because the one making the comments, uh, they don't fast. You know, it's funny because would you mock someone who prays? Uh, you know, they, they pray every day, but I don't think you have to pray every day. I don't know. Do you mock people who pray? So why would you mock someone who fasts? Do you mock people who give? They just give way too much of their money to the church. They, they, they give way too much. They're way too generous. They're overly generous, generous. Would you mock someone who's overly generous? No, you would applaud them. Why mock people who fast and pray? Would you mock a person who goes to church faithfully? Well, I don't think we have to go to church every week. I think once a month would be enough. I think they're overdoing it. I think they're probably trying to get God's attention because they don't believe in grace and faith. No, it's an ordinance of the church. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You mock someone who attends church twice a week? He goes to church Wednesday night and Sunday mornings. I can't believe that. I don't do that. I don't feel like I have. No. You wouldn't do that. And yet Jesus bunches up fasting with the core fundamental spiritual disciplines of believers, which is giving, praying, fasting, and gathering of the saints. So number one reason and purpose for why we fast is Jesus commanded it, and so we do it. Number two, we emulate the master. Why do we fast? Reason number two, we emulate the master. What does emulate mean? We mimic him. We imitate him. We do what he did. Luke chapter three. Luke chapter three. If you're just tuning in now, you do me a great favor if you can help me by getting this word out to as many people as possible by sharing this broadcast. Luke chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass, Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, in you I'm well pleased. Now if this happened to anybody in our world today, they would probably think, I don't have to ever fast again. For goodness sakes, the heavens opened up over my life. I saw heaven split open. Matter of fact, a supernatural dove just descended from heaven, laid upon my shoulder, and you wouldn't believe it. The moment its feet hit my shoulder, a voice thundered from heaven, and everyone around it heard it. And it said, you are my son, and I'm well pleased with you. And since then, I just, I don't fast anymore. I don't pray anymore. God's well pleased with me. I, 
I, I mean, I don't have to do anything. You would think someone like that, you'd think Jesus perhaps would see that happening and say, well, I've made it. But look at this. The moment he has the greatest spiritual encounter that's possibly happened throughout the entire Bible. I mean, the heavens open and a dove comes from heaven and lays on his shoulder and then a voice thunders from heaven. Since Moses, something like that had not been seen. And yet, look at Jesus' immediate response to that. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan after being baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone become bread. And he goes through the temptations. Verse 14, Luke 4, 14. After his fast is finished, well, verse 13, now the devil ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. Verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in the synagogues being glorified of all. So the Bible says Jesus has the Holy Spirit descend upon him. That signifies the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Immediately being baptized in the Holy Spirit and in water, his response is to go into the wilderness to fast and pray 40 days. What was the result? That was his response. What was the result to his fasting and prayer? And Jesus returned in the power, the dunamis, of the Spirit unto Galilee. There are people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they don't carry the power of the Spirit to actually fulfill the holy mandate that's been placed on their life. Jesus knew, I'm baptized, I've baptized in the Holy Spirit, but unless I fast and pray to be empowered of heaven, I'm going to have trouble in my ministry and doing what God's called me to do. And that's why he engaged in fasting and prayer. And when he came back, he was returning in the power of the Spirit. And look at his first, his first meeting. He goes to Nazareth. Where was his, he was brought up? As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. There was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened up the book, remember, this was his custom. So to prove to you that before he fasted and prayed, he didn't have this. He didn't have this level of power when he spoke. The proof to you, that fact, is that Luke includes in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 that it was already his custom to read of the scriptures on the Sabbath day. So he had his family, friends, relatives, people that knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. They knew about him. They have heard him read from the scriptures before. He was like a good altar boy. But they never had what we're about. He ne they never had the response or the reaction to Jesus reading the scrolls as like we're about to read right now. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. But the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed 
on him. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So there was a notable difference on the words that he spoke. There was power now that backed every word that he spoke. There was power in his speaking. There was power in his ministry. You read on. The Bible says the very first thing Jesus did after this was he cast out a spirit, an unclean spirit out of a man in a synagogue that couldn't even bear the presence of the anointed Christ. Acts 10.38, the Bible says, Now God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, and he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. All of that came as a product of what was unlocked during that time of fasting and prayer that we see Jesus engage with in, in Luke chapter 4. The Bible says in John 14.12, the works you've seen me do, you will do, and greater works shall you do, because I go unto the Father. Well, you can't do greater works unless you at least subscribe to the basic disciplines of what Jesus engaged with in his own life and ministry. You cannot attempt greater works for God until you've done what Jesus has done. I'm not saying you should go on a 40-day fast. 40-day fast is like you should be led by the Spirit in that. Uh, how long you fast, the duration of the fast, that's between you and God. You ask the Holy Spirit what to do. However, the, the, the uh, responsibility to fast, how long you fast, the duration of a fast, all that's between you and God. But actually doing a fast is a non-negotiable. And obviously there's, and I'm going to get into this in a different broadcast, but there are people who should not fast it's, I mean, should not fast. There's people who I recommend they should, you know, pretty much uh, it's up to them whether they should fast or not. But there's people who should not fast. If you're pregnant or nursing, you should not fast. You should not fast and you shouldn't feel guilty for not fasting. If you're pregnant or nursing, do not fast. Don't feel guilty for not fasting. You will do harm to yourself and you'll do harm to your baby. Do not fast if you're pregnant or nursing. Or, uh, yeah, pregnant or nursing. If you are under the age of 18, I, I would not recommend you fast. I mean, you can definitely fast if you have parental consent, but you don't, I, I, I don't believe you have to fast until you're at, at least the age of 18. If you're over the age of 70, up to you. Up to you. I know there's a lot of people who say, I have a, a problem with my body. I have a, 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 you know, an illness or chronic illness or whatever, and... I don't think I should fast. I don't know if I should fast. Maybe don't go in a 21-day liquid fast, but you could fast something. And then secondly, you could, uh, Isaiah 58 says that fasting will actually unlock health for your body. Fasting will actually, the Bible says your healing will spring forth speedily. There's, there are actually doctors today that have come out and say, that, that have said that, you know, a basic like one or two day fast can actually clear out a lot of stomach issues and intestinal issues. So there's a lot of people who say, I can't fast because I have this or that. And you know what? That's up to you. And I'm not going to guilt trip you for that. But I would say, and I'm not a doctor, so, you know, don't take it as like, I don't need someone coming back and suing me because something went wrong. But I will say the scripture says that your healing will spring forth speedily when you fast. 
And I would say that if you went on a fast and your motives were clear and your purpose was holy and pure before God in fasting, that it, it will produce a healing effect in your body. I'm not saying I would say. That's what scripture says. That is Bible. That's a Bible promise. And there's, I have testimonies I can lift off of people who engage. I have a friend who, uh, who fasted 21 days. He wasn't even a Christian. He wasn't even a Christian. He just went on a 21-day fa fast because he was having stomach issues. And his stomach issues cleared out. Totally cleared out. And in that 21-day fast, spontaneously, out of nowhere, a desire for God came. And that actually began his journey towards God. And now he's a born-again Christian. But uh, I find it interesting that in that fast, he actually, there was a healing effect that happened on his body. It's scripture. God knows your body more than any physician or any medical professional. God knows your body. He made you. And... In Isaiah 58, he says, one of the effects of a fast will be your healing will spring forth speedily. So I just listed off, and I'll get through, go through it another time throughout this week of broadcast, but I've listed off people who definitely should not fast, people who get under 18, parental consent, over 70, it's up to you whether you fast or not. And I wouldn't feel guilty if you didn't. Moving on to what I was saying. Fasting purpose number two, emulate the master. You want to have what Jesus had, you got to do what Jesus did. Too many people are looking for a shortcut to power. They want resurrection power, but they don't want crucifixion of flesh. You can't have resurrection power without crucifixion of flesh. You can't tap in to the greater works Jesus said we, we could have uh, in John 14, 12, without at least, at least doing the basic works and practices that Jesus engaged with. Paul Talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.10. He says, you have carefully followed my manner of life. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I was in fasting often. He fasted often. The very first thing Jesus, uh, Paul did when he got saved was fast three days and three nights. He didn't even drink water for those three days and three nights. And Paul tells Timothy, you have carefully followed my way of life. Paul had a dynamically powerful ministry. Paul cast out demons. Paul healed the sick. Paul cleared sickness off an entire island in Acts chapter 28. You can't expect to have... There's too many people. They want a shortcut to that. You can't just walk into that. If that were the case, every Christian would be operating that high level of power. But that's not the case. Paul tapped into a high level and dimension of power because he was in fasting often. And then he not only said, I did it, he, he delivered to Timothy the same way of life. Paul told Timothy, you have carefully followed my way of life. And I'm sure if we could read of Timothy's ministry, he had a matter of fact, he did have the same level of ministry as Paul did. Because you read in Corinthians, Paul says, I'm sending to you Timothy, my beloved son in the Lord, who's able to, to instruct you in my ways in the Lord as I teach in every, in every place that I go to. So Timothy was literally a replica of Paul's ministry because he subscribed to the same terms and conditions Paul had subscribed to himself. So he was entitled to the same level of power Paul had himself. I'll say it again. Too many people are looking for a shortcut to power. They want resurrection power without crucifixion of the flesh. And this cannot be. Number three, purposes in fasting. Fasting is designed to inject humility into you. 
humility. Pride is a demonic seduction that leads to a miserable downfall life. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Bible says the thing that got Lucifer booted out of heaven was his pride. Pride was found in his heart. God is against pride. The Bible says he resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And one of the ways that you can humble yourself, remember the Bible doesn't say God's gonna humble you. The Bible says humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. One of the ways we humble ourselves, Psalm 35, 13, David said, I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer returned to my own heart. Hum, um, fasting will actually generate humility, God-like humility, godly character into you. Psalm 69, 10, David said, I wept and I chastened, I disciplined my soul with fasting. Why does fasting humble an individual? Why, why does that even connect? Because when you fast and you cease eating, you're telling God that food is not what I depend on. God, you are my strength. You are the stronghold of my life. You are the source of my life. I'm not alive because I put food in my belly. I'm alive because you sustain me. Food does not sustain me. Because there's people who eat food every single day of their life and, they're, and they die. You sustain me. God sustains my life. The way you really announce to heaven that my faith is not placed in the strength of my body is by weakening your flesh. I mean, when you don't eat for several days, several weeks, you know, 21 days, 10 days, 7 days, whatever fast you're doing, when you don't eat for an extended period of time, you become physically weak. At least for the first five, six days, when you engage in a longer fast, you actually find that strength, that strength come back. And it's actually not even a, it's not the strength derived from food because you haven't even eaten food. I'm telling you, after about seven days of a fast, liquid fast, you'll actually find strength come back into your body. And it's, it's actually God's strength sustaining you. you you've come off sustenance by food and you've come into sustenance by divine power. So why does fasting humble an individual? Because when you cease eating and your prayer becomes, God, you are my strength, and I'm going to prove to you that I believe that, you're showing 100% dependability upon God. You're truly fulfilling the scripture that Jesus quoted when tempted by Satan, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Self-dependence is a trap. When you never fast, you're proving to God, I'm self-dependent. I'm a made man. I can do it myself. I don't need. When you don't pray, when you don't fast, prayerlessness is a, the emblem. It is the logo of pridefulness. Self-dependence is a trap that the enemy sets in people's lives. It's a dangerous place to be because Jeremiah 17 says, Cursed is the man who depends upon himself, trusts in the flesh, and trusts and depends upon the strength of his arm. Cursed is the man, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and relies upon his strength. I want God to be my strength. 
And I don't want to just quote that because it's the right way to, it's the right thing to say. You prove it. You prove it. When you're not eating and you're saying, God, there's nothing I desire more than you. There's, I'm putting away the, the plate from me these next 21 days. And I'm going to prove to you, Lord, that there's nothing I desire but more than you. There's no ribs, there's no steak, there's no chicken, there's no plate, there's no meal that I desire more than you. You know, Job said that more, um, he said, I have longed for thee more than my necessary food. That's essentially the slogan of what a fast is. It's the slogan for a biblical fast. I have longed for thee more than my necessary food. When you fast, you're truly acknowledging that God is the ultimate source of your strength and power in life. Fasting is the quickest route to humbling yourself before the hand of God because it acknowledges him as the source. I am not what I am by my power. I am not who I am by my strength. I don't do what I do because of my own ability. Everything I am and have came from the hand of God. And God, I'm going to show you that I haven't lost uh, sight of that. The Bible says when you humble yourself. So here's why fasting brings promotion. Because when you fast, you're humbling yourself before God. And Peter says, humble yourself before the hand of God. And in the sight of God. And he will lift you up. Promotion, remember this. Promotion does not come from the east. It doesn't come from the west. It doesn't come from the south. Promotion comes from the Lord who lifts up one and puts down another. So when you humble yourself in fasting, you know, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people will humble themselves and pray, hallelujah. That's what we're doing. We're not just fasting. We're fasting and praying. If you're just fasting, you're on a diet. That's all it is. You'll have some health benefits, but that's about it. But when you couple prayer with fasting, it's like prayer is the detonator. Fasting is the C4 explosive. You, you can have the explosive without a detonator and it won't explode. You can have a detonator without a, an explosive and it won't do you any good. But when you couple the both of them together and you have the detonator and the explosive, it'll do much damage to the kingdom of hell. And it'll build you up. It'll explode things in your life. Blow things up. You can have a, blow, a blowout year this year. And I don't mean the negative sense of that. I mean a good, a good, the good sense of it, a blowout. Wherever you're bursting at the seams in every measurable metric. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. Number four purpose for fasting is to express grief. Now I'm going to be very clear in this. Under the Old Testament, they expressed grief for people that died. A king, David, uh, when jo John and Jonathan and uh, Saul died. They fasted for seven days. They didn't eat anything. They were expressing grief. We don't do that anymore. Paul told us in the first Thessalonians chapter four that when someone dies, we should not mourn as those who have no hope. We shouldn't be eternally sad and weeping and grieving. We should always put our mind and our memory set to the fact that there will be a day when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. And Paul actually says, comfort one another with these words. So we don't fast now, obviously, if you lose a loved one, it could dull your appetite for a few days and you don't feel like eating and stuff, but we don't fast for the purpose of grieving for loved ones anymore. On the Old Testament, they did it. They clothed themselves with sackcloth and all that. We don't do that in the New Testament. However, 
It is still valid in the New Testament to express grief over the state of a nation, but not just to complain about it. We're not expressing grief over the state of a nation if there's depravity that's overrun your nation, the abortion industry, the LGBT community, whatever. We're not expressing grief over the state of a nation for the, just to complain about something, just to, to throw ashes in the air like they did in the Old Testament and clothe ourselves with sackcloth and just, oh God, how come things are happening? When we're expressing grief, it's for the purpose of asking God for the empowerment to actually shift things on a national level. I'm not, if I fast and pray, and in my prayer time, I'm praying for my nation, and I'm cursing demonic work in my nation, and I'm, 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 I'm stating my grief over the state of the nation. It is not just so I can vent to God. It's so that God, look at what's happening. I need your power, and I need your hand of blessing to come on me. Like, Nehemiah, like it came upon Nehemiah. When he saw the state of Jerusalem, the gates were burnt up with fire and the walls had broken down. It grieved him. He began to fast and he mourned for many days and his prayer was, God, let your good hand come on me to do something about it and flip the switch and turn things around. That's what I talk about when I'm talking about expressing grief over the state of a nation in fasting and prayer. Like Nehemiah, we're saying, God, the wall, the gates of righteousness have broken down, but Lord, I know that when you're displeased with the state of a nation, you do not send judgment, not in this New Testament period. He doesn't send judgment. There will be a day of judgment in the tribulation, but until then, the day of God's favor is still here. And God, I know you're not sending judgment to Canada. You're looking for people. His eyes are looking to and fro throughout the whole world, seeking for people whose heart is loyal to him, committed and dedicated to him in fasting and prayer that he might show himself strong on their behalf. That's what I mean when we talk about the purpose of fasting and expressing grief. God, the wall of righteousness has fallen down, but you said you're looking for one who will stand in the gap and rebuild the walls of righteousness. Here I am, send me, hallelujah. Grieving over the spiritual depravity of a nation or a people is a real weight and burden God can put on a person. Being angry at the state of a nation, provoking you to fast and pray so that something can break on a national level is a noble motivation to have in fasting and prayer. Number five, and this ties in with, with number four, to garner power with God for effective ministry. There was a minister by the name of A.A. A. Allen back in the 1900s, uh, and he was preaching and had a ministry for several years, no power, no miracles, no salvations, nothing. He was hitting a brick wall, and he got very, he grieved over it. It disturbed him. He was extremely dissatisfied with the results of his ministry due to the lack of deliverances and, and people getting healed and miracles. So he decided to embark on a fast, and he closed himself into a closet. And during those days, the Lord appeared to him in a light and showed him, I think, 10 or 11 things on a checklist of things that he had to do that would unlock a miracle ministry for himself. He began to do that. He actually wrote a book, which I would recommend everyone read. It's called The Cost of the Miracle Working Power of God by A.A. A. Allen. The Cost of the Miracle Working Power of God by A.A. A. Allen. And it's worth reading. In it, he lists all the, um, the checklist that Jesus gave him that would unlock 
a dynamic miracle ministry for his life. A. A. Allen went on to have one of the most miracle-loaded ministries of his time. I mean like notable ministry, miracles. I mean like a kid who had no bones in his feet, have bones appear in his feet, documented, was in Chicago. I think it was either in Chicago or I think it was in the Chicago Times or something. It was, it was documented. Bones appeared, the mother weeping. There was a time where a kid came to him that had 26 different diseases, was six years old, was supposed to diet, but wasn't supposed to make it to his two-year birthday. And uh, the mother brought him to Alabama where he was having a crusade. And he grabbed, he had a vision of the boy before he had ever even met him. He was at the back of the auditorium. And he said, I see a, a little boy who's got 26 different diseases. He's in this place right now. If the parent would bring him forward, the parent brought the child forth. He takes the child up in his arms and begins to preach with the child in his arms. As he's preaching, his eyes that were blind, he was blind, deaf, mute. He had a bunch of different disorders with his body. As he's preaching with the child in his arms, his eyes, which were like a cloudy substance in his eyes, it like evaporated. He had brand new blue eyes, his mouth untied where he was able to speak, his deaf ears came open. They taught him to say his first words were mama. And he began to speak. He had never spoke a word in his life. And I think, I'm not, if I'm not sure, the, you can catch that, that miracle actually on YouTube. They have, they, they have it like uh, in video format. It's an old crusade uh, video, so it's black and white. But th that, that happened in one of A. a. Allen's crusades. And I can go on and, you know, there was a time, R.W. Schambach, who traveled with A. a. Allen, he was asked, what's the greatest miracle you ever saw? And he said it was a tent crusade with A.A. Allen. That when that little boy was healed in his arms, it was on the same night. When that little boy was healed in his arms, there was a wheelchair section on the left side of the auditorium. That They were all, you know, cancer cases. Some people were paraplegics. Others were, they had neurological disorders, paralyzed since birth. You all, with one accord, unanimously, when they saw that little boy get healed, they had seen the clouds on his eyes. They, seen, they saw it all firsthand. When they saw that, it did something for their faith. Unanimously, they all got up, took their wheelchairs, and brought it to the front. He said, that was the greatest miracle night that I had ever seen in my entire life in ministry. And that night, everyone in that tent, under that tent, was healed. And all of that came through what Jesus showed A.A. Allen during that time of fasting and prayer, which unlocked that miracle ministry. You want an effective ministry? You need to engage in a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. I said it before, I'll say it again. Jesus had a miracle ministry. You can't shortcut that to get to the miracle ministry without doing what Jesus did in discipline. You can't reproduce the supernatural miracles of Jesus unless you reproduce the basic disciplines of Jesus in your own life. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13, when they were going to set out Paul and uh, Barnabas for ministry, the Bible says they ministered unto the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the, the, the ministry I've set for them. And when they set them apart, they prayed and fasted and laid hands on the people. They laid hands on Paul and Silas. It was a time of fasting and prayer that preceded Paul's ministry and Barnabas' ministry. No, no wonder when they get to Acts 14 at Lystra, the very next chapter, they get to a place 
where they'd never been before. And there's a man, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. And Jesus, uh, Paul saw that he had faith to be healed. Says, stand up on your feet. Jesus heals you. And that was the first miracle that happened in Paul's ministry. His legs regained strength. And the Bible says the people that dwelt at Lystra turned to Paul and Barnabas and thought that it was Zeus and Hermes, Greek mythological god, god, uh, gods, because of the power they had seen displayed through their ministry. And they said, hey, hey, we're not gods. We're men of the same nature as you. And we're preaching to everyone to repent and turn from your worthless idols to the living God. But you see what made their, they could have easily have stayed at Lystra for 16 years. They could have stayed at Lystra. They could have got out a PowerPoint presentation and said, hey, here's why we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Here's some video footage of him. They could have done all of that. It wouldn't have done squat. Wouldn't have done squat. Because Paul said, the kingdom of God is not in word only. It is in power. It's in power. And that level of power, Jesus said, this kind, that kind of power cannot come. By any other way, except through fasting and in prayer. And it's interesting to me that you have ministers. Any minister that does not fast or pray at all, I question their dedication and passion to their assignment. I question it. I really do. Any minister that does not engage in any fasting and prayer, I question their dedication. Because think of it, you wouldn't want a doctor that didn't study at all. You wouldn't want a doctor to operate on your kid or you if they've never, hey, where's your diploma? I actually never studied. I just uh, thought it'd be a good thing to go into the medical field. I really, I, I don't like people being sick and... You know, so I, I thought, what's one way I can help? Well, let me attempt to operate on people. Well, what's your degree? I don't have a degree. I just have good heart. I, I question that person's heart and dedication. You wouldn't trust an accountant with your finances and filing your taxes at the end of the year unless they've studied and know financial laws in your region and in your nation. Hey, where'd you go to school? I actually never been to school. Uh, you're going to do my taxes this year? Yeah. You know, I, be, I know basic math, so I wouldn't trust that person to file my taxes. Would you trust someone who's never driven before to taxi you to the airport? You wouldn't do that. Why? Because you know they're ill-prepared for what you've hired them to do. An accountant who's not informed in the basic financial laws and updated laws in the nation is ill-prepared to file your taxes. A doctor who's not up to date on advancements in the medical field. You know, if you had a doctor that was still draining your blood to get rid of fever, you have a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. He's ill-prepared to tackle the problem at hand. Well, if you have a minister that doesn't pray or fast, and specific today, fasting, that minister is ill-prepared for the assignment set before then, and I'm convinced this is one of the primary reasons ministers burn out early and don't fulfill. They don't finish the course, the race that was set before them. Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought the fight. I have finished my race. I have poured out my life. 
I'm convinced that the power he had to do that, to run with endurance the race that was set before him, was given to him through his extended times of fasting and prayer. Remember, I'll repeat it again. 2 Corinthians 12, the Bible says that Paul was in fastings often. It's one thing for a You know, you have preachers, they can memorize the notes of a sermon. They, have, they can even read volumes of theological books and have everything right. The incarnation of Christ. They can have the, 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 the virgin birth. They can have his crucifixion, ascension, and all the facts of the Bible right. But if they lack this power that can only come by fasting and prayer, their ministries are greatly going to be suppressed in results, hindered in what could have happened. I don't, you don't want to know why I fast and pray? Because I don't want to be seven years old looking back and saying, I wonder if I fasted and prayed, what more could we have done? And I'm telling you, there is more. I know a lot of people, they say, no, no, whatever God called you to do, that's what will get done. There's nothing you can do to add or subtract. God is sovereign. Whatever you're going to do in life is already pre-programmed by him. That's rubbish. Rubbish. God has extended his invitation to use you. Matter of fact, let me read this. 2 Timothy. This is important. 2 Timothy chapter 20. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. I want you to write in the comment section, I am a vessel for honor. I am a vessel for honor. Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, not if anyone is cleansed by God. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about cleansed from sin. Only Jesus can cleanse you from sin. I'm talking about, there are a lot of Christians that are carnal Christians. They're not cleansed from the impurity of the flesh. And so they're held back in the school of the spirit. They haven't passed grade three. Because the responsibility to, to, to be cleansed or to put off certain things is not in the hands of God. It's in our hands. And Paul says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. So who decides who becomes a vessel for honor and a vessel for dishonor? It is not God. Paul said, it's you. And one of the ways that you can crucify your flesh, the best way to crucify the flesh, is to not feed it anything and assert your dominion over the flesh. That's how you can quickly and with acceleration crucify the flesh and put it under so that it's not in dominion over you, but rather your spirit's in charge and now you've positioned yourself to be a vessel for honorable use. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You know what that tells me? Not everyone is useful to God. That's not to say he doesn't love you. He loves you. You believe in Christ. You're born again. 
You've turned from sin. You're going to heaven. He loves you. But you may not be useful to God. You are useful in the sense that he has plans for you. But because you haven't engaged in this process of cleansing yourself, you have limited your usability in the hands of God. You've relegated yourself as a vessel of wood and clay. God can use you thus far, but not to the, the end. Paul tells Timothy, so you flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So there is a God through Paul writes down to Timothy, he's saying, there are different classes of people as to who God can use. They're both saved. There's wood and clay going to heaven. There's gold and silver going to heaven, but also is useful to the master here on this earth. Which leads me to the last point. Purpose number six is to crucify the flesh. Galatians chapter five, the Bible says that the flesh wages war against the spirit and the spirit wages war against the flesh. And he says that you have to actually crucify the flesh. The, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are outbursts of wrath, uh, envy, hate, witchcraft, revelry, drunkenness. Paul says, the like of which I've told you beforehand and I tell you again, those who practice such things will not go to heaven. They'll not make the kingdom of heaven. But then he moves on and tells the Galatian church, those who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh and earthly passions and desires, have nailed it to the cross, have crucified those things in themselves. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, God does not cleanse those whom he calls. He calls you and then requires you to do the necessary cleansing in order for you to be qualified for honorable works. And it's your level of dedication that determines your level or the level in which God can help, can use you in. I'm going to make this, going back to my old point that I read out of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. God can express interest and desire in using you in prophecy. There are some of you watching me right now that God, you've had a prophetic utterance released over your life. The Lord has said that you're going to preach the gospel. Some of you, you'll be used in worship ministry. Some of you, God's, I'm going to use you to, uh, I, I have a vision for your life to build a, a business, an enterprise, whatever it is that has been made clear to you through prophecy as to what God wants to use you in. God can express interest and desire to use you. And there could be prophecies made concerning you that clarify that desire to use you. However, whether those prophecies concerning you are fulfilled is determined by your consecration to the Lord in fasting and in prayer. Joshua chapter 3. Listen to this. Joshua chapter 3. And... Verse 5, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, 
For the Lord tomorrow will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourself. Consecrate. Cleanse yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. There could be wonderful things that have been spoken about you in prophecy. But Paul tells Timothy, through the prophecies made concerning you, you should wage the good warfare. There's a war to be had. Those things are not automatically going to be fulfilled. You can't live a carnal life and totally neglect spiritual practices which would put the flesh under and make you a vessel for honorable use and still attain to that uh, great and high place God desires to bring you in, in life. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow. The Lord will work wonders among you. You can't have the wonders without the process of sanctification. By the Spirit, Paul says in Romans, put to death the deeds of the flesh. The way you do that primarily and the way you can do it in accelerated format is through fasting and in prayer. Let me make this very clear and through this analogy. You have the Hoover Dam backed by the Colorado River. Colorado River has a lot of water in it, and it's a strong, powerful river. But the thing is, is there's this massive wall in infrastructure that disallows the river to go beyond, beyond that wall. If I were to take an, a, a, a carving tool and carve out, drill through a one-inch hole through the Colorado River, through the dam, the Hoover Dam, to allow one inch of water to pierce through the dam, what would you see? You'd see a little water squirting out of that big dam, but it wouldn't do a, a thing. It'd create a little puddle on the ground, that's it. It would, not, it, would, it would not be this great flowing force of a river flowing through because there's only a one inch sized dime level hole that's been carved out. So it's limited in how much water can pass through. But if I were to take an explosive and strap it to the Hoover Dam and blow the thing up, what would happen? You'd have the full force of the Colorado River running through. Power that could not be ignored. Your flesh is the Hoover Dam. The anointing and the Holy Spirit who lives in you is that water. You don't need more anointing. You don't need more Holy Spirit. You either have Holy, the Holy Spirit or you don't. You either have anointing or you don't. When you were saved, the Bible says God has anointed you with the Holy One. You have the anointing. I want you to write that in the comment section. I have the anointing. The problem lies here. Though you have the anointing, <coughs> your flesh is the dam that blocks up the flow of that anointing through your life. Fasting is the explosive that you attach to the flesh to blow the thing up so that the full force of the river of God, Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The problem is, is though you have rivers in your belly, the dam of your carnal nature and flesh, because you have, you know, when you don't fast for a long time, that flesh becomes strong and it holds back this full force of the river of God that's in you. And as such, you've become limited in 
in, in, in the power that's, that's limited in the usage of the power that's already in you. If you're born again, you don't need more power. You don't need more anointing. You don't need more Holy Spirit. You need less carnal nature. And when you fast and you pray, you are putting to death that carnal nature so that there's not this big dam standing in the way of the river of God in you that's desiring to reach out from you into the people, you've now exploded that dam and the river of God, the power of God is flowing clearly and, f- and, and uh, flowing clearly through you. And there's power at work. There's power manifesting in your life. There's, there's something notable about your life. People can tell when they get around you that there's a river flowing, a river of joy, a river of healing, a river of gladness, a river of peace. So those are the six purposes of fasting and prayer that I've listed today. And uh, it was a very fundamental foundational teaching today. We're going to get into more stuff tomorrow and the rest of this week. But I wanted to open up with giving you an understanding as to why we fast as believers. Why? The purpose for fasting and prayer. I'm going to repeat it. We're not fasting in prayer because we're sadists and we have to suffer and we have to struggle and we have to, we have to hurt ourselves like the old Catholic priests used to do. They'd take a whip and they'd whip their back because they weren't worthy to have any pleasure and fasting is to strip the entire pleasure of life out. No, that's not why we fast and pray. We're not fasting in prayer because we're trying to strip pleasure out of life. We fast and we pray to humble ourselves before God to show our absolute dependency upon Him. I'm going to get into more reasons tomorrow and benefits of fasting and prayer. But one of the main things God's going to do for you in this time of fasting and prayer is He's going to show you the plan of God and direction of God for your life, for this year. Specific things that God wants and desires to do through you this year. The plan of God is not to be determined by you. We don't fast and pray because we have plans and we desire God to bless our plans. One of the main purposes of fasting and prayer, you know what, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to talk about discovering God's plan for your life through fasting and prayer and uh, receiving direction in life through fasting and prayer. Some of you may have been on a roadblock. Some of you feel stagnated in life. You feel like you can't move beyond where you're at now. But one of the ways to totally step out of that place of frustration and stagnation and enter into a place where you have clarity and you've zoned in and you've focused in and narrowed in on the plan of God for your life is fasting and prayer. Ezra in chapter 8 says, we fasted and prayed at the river of Ahava to seek from God the right way. God will show you the right way during this time of fasting and prayer. It won't be a year of you trying to figure things out. God can give you a plan in the first 21 days of this year And listen to this. I said it before. We don't have our plans and ask God to bless them. We get God's plan and they're blessed. They're blessed. You don't even have to pray to bless your plan. Once you have God's plan, it's already blessed. And when you're in the direct center, in the bullseye of God's plan, everything else works out. Provision will flow. Healing will flow. Strength will flow. Promotion will flow. Doors will open. Everything begins to work. The Bible says all things work together for good to those who love God and are what? Called according to His purpose. So you have to find out what is the purpose of God. And so tomorrow we're going to do that. But before I, I close this broadcast, I want to pray for everyone because I feel like the anointing is strong right now. 
And I want to pray for everyone watching uh, on this broadcast that God is going to give you a grace to focus in and zone in on the why as to why you're fasting. And that in doing that, you'll have a grace to carry on and endure through this fast. That you won't be sitting with a McDonald's hamburger in your hands in guilt and shame because you broke early. God will give you a grace to finish and endure to the end. And it's going to, I'm telling you, this will be a different year for you. This will be a, a notably different year. Not just notable for you. Even those around you will say, tell me, what did you do differently this year? Because last year, the year before, and every year since I've known you, it's not looked like this. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, people love to focus on the suddenlies. But nobody looks at the cause. They just look at the effect. And suddenly there came from heaven a, a sound as of a mush, mighty rushing wind. Well, look at the cause. They tarried for 50 days at Jerusalem, believing God to send the promised Holy Spirit. They were in that upper room for 50 entire days. People saw the suddenly, but they didn't see the cause. In the kingdom of God, there's cause and there's effect. And if you want the effect to be different than it was last year, then you have to change the cause. You have to change the cause. Fasting and prayer is a scriptural button that you can push that will produce a, one, a, a life filled with signs and wonders and things that gets the heathen to scratch their head and say, I don't know how it came to be. It just, it just is. You know, in writing the Constitution of the United States of America, they fasted and prayed for that. And that document is pretty much the document that maintains the free world today the document of the constitution is is what many countries that are free have adopted and mimicked and and uh essentially copied most of it that that one we want to go even better forget the constitution the 10 commandments when did moses get the 10 commandments he was in fasting and in prayer for 40 days and God showed him the Ten Commandments. Do you understand every free society since then came to be because of what God showed Moses in a time of fasting and prayer? Fasting and prayer changes things. Fasting and prayer doesn't change God. He's the same. Fasting and prayer changes things, changes you. And God can show you things in a time of fasting and prayer. That'll set you up for a life of wonders. And I believe that'll be your case. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you for everyone that's watching right now. For Brian, for Chloe, for Mercy, for Sharon, for uh, Pop-Tart, for Richard, for the Glorious, for Crystal, for Mary Luz, for Helene. For everyone that's, that's watching right now, I ask you, Lord, that you would supernaturally empower them by your grace to carry on this fast to the end. Lord, that during this fast, you would make this book come alive in a way they've never experienced before. That during this fast, there'd be an intimacy cultivated with you quite unlike ever experienced before. That you would give them divine encounters like you gave A.A. Allen, where it showed him how to have a miracle ministry that unlocked a dynamic power in his ministry that hadn't been seen in a long time. I pray, Father, that you would clarify callings throughout this fast. In Jesus' mighty name, 
in Jesus' name. Lord, that those that are struggling with habits, addictions, and sins that have not, they've not been able to break free from, that just through this time of fasting and prayer, that the bonds of wickedness would be loose from their lives, that the ropes of sin that easily catch them and entangle them would be burnt up by fire. In Jesus' mighty name, matter of fact, I pray that right now, anyone watching me now that has bad habits, sinful habits, things you've been trying to cut off your life for many years, cigarette smoking, marijuana smoking, any type of addiction that you've been facing that you haven't been, been able to break free from, despite your various efforts, in Jesus' mighty name, I curse all of those things today. I break its stronghold off your life and I command supernatural freedom from here on out. I command your light to break forth right now. I command every bond of wickedness to break free. I command every form of oppression to come off your life right here and right now in Jesus' name. You are free by the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you and until next time.